Welcome to episode two of The Industry. I'm your host, Kip Saunders. With me, as always, is my producer engineer, Dan Serretta. How are you doing, Dan? Uh, doing wonderful. Thanks. Oh, yeah, you just told me you were hungover, so I think that you're lying. Yes, that is true. Okay. I feel like a pile of garbage. <laughs> Uh, and our second guest, um, number two, well, I should run through in case you didn't listen to the first episode, The Industry is a podcast about the service and bar and uh, the bar and restaurant industry, the service industry as we call it, um, and we're going to be interviewing people who have kind of grown up in that industry and decided to do that as their profession as opposed to just people who did it as a side gig. Uh, our second guest is the illustrious Jessica Sharkey. Um, how you doing, Jess? I'm good, thanks. Good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Uh, so, uh, we'll just dive right into it. Jess and I have been friends for a long time. We used to work together at the first place that she worked at, Ethel's Lounge. Yeah. Um, right through your bio, you lived in Waterloo, Toronto, London, um, but essentially your first service gig was at Ethel's, and were you, you were still going to school at that time, is that correct? Yes, yeah. I started, it was my summer job, uh, when I was back home, after, between first and second year of university. Right, so that's, and that's how I would say most people kind of get into this gig, is yeah. they think that they're, they're just in school, they think that's what they're going to do, and I don't know if you still feel this way, I know you've had a lot of changes in your life, but do you still feel like this is kind of... A career path for you now, the whole service industry? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It, it certainly wasn't the plan at no. the beginning, and I resisted it, even when I think it was inevitably going that way, right. but it's definitely where I am now. Like, this is the career I have. Yeah, and that same thing happened to me as well, and that's why I was like, I, I said on the, on the first episode that like, for people in my generation at least, I'm older than you, but... Um, it, you almost had a feeling of guilt for a while about oh, like yeah. this didn't seem this is an appropriate job for you to have like this is well people tell you all the time it's not well sure <laughs> <laughs> did you ever get the customer who asks you like so what are you going to do when you grow up type question oh yeah yeah it's totally. <laughs> so insulting I've like, had people like someone we used to work with at Apple's who mm-hmm. left uh, who left the industry uh, talk about how hard it is to have a real job yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's not a fake employment. No. Nope. Like, I don't understand that concept. Get a paycheck every yeah, couple weeks just like job. everybody else. It's yeah. just not at the same hours as yours. And the irony, too, I find with a lot of those people is they don't realize how much actual money you can make in this industry. Totally. Because they don't understand how tipping works, I guess. But um, we don't need to get into that. <laughs> uh, so, moving on. Um, so, your first job's at Ethel's. Yep. And, like, how long do you think it took you... And we'll, and we'll move through the path of um, where you worked after that. But uh, it, you worked at Ethel's for 12 years. And that entire time, did you get, was there a point where you got over it and were like, okay, maybe this is just what I'm going to do? Or did that happen afterwards? I think it happened after. Yeah. Yeah. It took okay. more than 12 years for yeah, me, me to get there. Me too. Um, okay. So you, I know you were working at, you also worked at Dan Lynn's during this period and Fox and Phil during this period. Yep. Um... Jan Lynn's, for those who don't know, is... Okay, well, let's start with Ethel's. Ethel's is kind of like a kitschy dive bar, corner bar, institution in the city of yeah. Kitchener-Waterloo. Um, what do you think is... What would you say is the thing you learned the most about working there, besides your love for me? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
it sounds cheesy, but it's the the time management, the the organization. Yeah, I can agree with you more. You really have to move quickly, and especially like it's no shade to how it is now because it's just it's busier in a different level. Um, But back then, when I started, like we didn't have bar runners. No, there wasn't any of that. So you worked the entire like you worked half the patio with. Like that was your section, and that could be up to a hundred people. Yeah, you know, on a Friday night or while you're running inside to make your own drinks, and you make your own drinks, and you bust your own tables, and you run everything, and you wipe them off, and it just like anything was anything was easier after that. A hundred percent for that style of service, it's literally running gun, and then but it made you a better server. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, like I, I, that pretty much made me completely like. And then you're doing that, you're running back and forth in the heat, you're making your own drinks, you're trying to keep up with everybody who's moving out there, the turnover's really fast and furious, yeah. and you're, then... You're working on the most ridiculous cash machine that's ever existed, yep. with like, double pages and nothing, nothing can be split, if you can't do math, you cannot work there. No, yeah, you write handwritten chits that you bring into the kitchen, Yep. yeah, <laughs> just stab them up there and nobody can read my handwriting. Um, at least you had pretty handwriting. That's true. Yours are hieroglyphics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then in the middle of this whole thing, you'll have some soccer mom be like, I want an umbrella. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah, intense and, like, and very, like, it's hard to describe to people who don't know how busy that patio would get in the summer yeah. and, and and how short staff we all were. Now, as a result, none of us were ever clamoring for more staff because we were making such good money yeah. because we were so short staff, but the, you really had to know, learn how to hustle. Definitely. And yeah, I don't think it was... Like, when you're in the moment, I don't think any of us thought of it as being short-staffed at the time. It just was... Do what we did. It was, yeah, it was the reality of the place. Yeah. And then as more people started to get added, um, which made sense really when you're looking at how crazy what we were doing was and from certainly from an owner's perspective it would be like you know we could probably make more money if, if we were doing this more efficiently yeah um, yeah and you know like i'm sure my own greed got in the way of that too but well it gave you and i a lot more time to bitch <laughs> <laughs> once we had more people working. oh that's definitely true <laughs> yeah we really milked that at the end so you were uh, working there, which is like, uh, and Ethel's, like I said, is maybe one, we were saying, one of the great training grounds to be, sure. to do this job, period. But you're also working at Janet Lynn's for a while this, during this period, which is a very ultra-fine dining type yeah. style of service. So completely different. I mean, it's so funny how there's so many different ways to do this job, and it's all very much the same, mm-hmm. but can be completely different, right? Like, there's... At the end of the day, and this is why I always laugh at people who start taking themselves too seriously in this job, where it's like, at the end of the day, we're making drinks and we're bringing them to the tables. No one's curing fucking cancer here. Exactly. Like, I get that you're a wonderful mixologist in a, you know, sweater vest or whatever you're wearing, but like the, but at the end of the day, that's what we do. We make drinks, we bring them to the tables. We're not, it's not rocket science. But within the scope of this job there's so many different ways to do it and the difference between like Ethel's Lounge and Janet Lynn's is incredible so what do you feel like you learned the most working fine dining Um, I mean I think just the concept of that was an eye opener just that everything that I learned there wasn't completely transferable Um, I it was humbling like I'd already worked 
in the industry for about two years at that point, and I was kept on Expo for quite a while, which is expediting. So basically, working in the kitchen, um, running the food, organizing it, doing a lot of side duties, polishing, and all that. And because I hadn't earned my place yet, right? And it was that was humbling because you know you come in and you're like, well, I'm so good at this job, like I can yeah. totally do this. Yeah, and yeah. Like, oh no, like <laughs> there's a hierarchy to things, right? Um, but it. It gave me um, a finesse for serving that I think is applicable no matter where you work, where just certain mannerisms, like, I, I can remember times when you've teased me at Ethel serving, you know, bruschetta to somebody, and I'd be saying, like, pardon my reach. Yeah. Because yeah. you can't unlearn certain things that you do at fine dining. It's invaluable. It really is, yeah. after a while. Like, you just, it, it, it teaches you an entirely different way to do your job and do it so much better. Like, it, I, yeah. whereas the... Uh, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but like in the the Ethel's vein of like the time management and the speed you needed to do mm-hmm. this job, the fine dining kind of teaches you the refinement of those skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And even things like stacking plates properly. Right. You know, at, at Ethel's it was just get it done. And yeah. I learned you better systems because they're not they're done at fine dining restaurants all over the world because they are. A, a, They've tried all the other systems. This is right. the one that works, right? This is efficient. And you learn that all that shit matters. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a, there's a reason for it. It's not completely arbitrary. No, it's I not I mean, like, yeah. you can make things arbitrary, for sure. Sure. And <laughs> I, de- I also learned there, though, that I, fine dining wasn't for me. Right. And that was uh, part of the reason why I've never really gone back that way. Like, any, like casual fine dining, But sure. you don't lose the skill set, so no. that's you can still bring that skill set to anything you do in the future. And I yeah. think that's valuable. It's really valuable skill to have if you if you decide to make this industry your career, right? So, For sure. Okay, so there you you also worked at the Fox and Phil, more of like a pub style as well, similar yeah. to Ethel's, but probably dealing with more students. Almost exclusively, yeah. yeah. I worked there from when it opened. Um, I started there as a server, but only for a couple months. Then I was on bar for the next three or four years, and it was almost it was almost like a club on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights. It was crazy there, and that's on that's where I just learned speed on the bar. Mm-hmm. And it was it was speed rail bar. It could have been almost like any other nightclub. You're drinking vodka years. sodas and yep. Jaeger bombs, and um, but how to just quickly clear a bar and just keep everything going and because you basically have four hours to make everything between 10 and 2 in the morning right, right? and nobody's really in there and how to move that. in like a, sort of like an oval right like where yep. you start at one end of the bar and you um, and you move that way and then you clear and then you come back the other side to start all yep. over again right? and we had little sections that was actually the first time I worked at a bar with other people Oh, was another person behind us. the bar? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There were usually three of us and then somebody dedicated to service. Right. So that was the first time I'd ever worked a place where the servers didn't make their own drinks. Right. Which was a weird concept. Because when I that was part of the reason I ended up on bar from being at Ethel's and working now at a corporate place where there were rules about what you could and couldn't do. I was always bored out of my mind serving because I wasn't allowed to make drinks and I wasn't allowed to bust this. And there was an expediter to do the side duties and I didn't know what to do with myself. Right. During a shift, you're really just wandering around in circles waiting for your food to come out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, so from there, you went to White Rabbit. After Ethel's, yeah. Yes. There was a couple, quite a few years there where I was just at Ethel's. Just at Ethel's, and then, Ethel's and then yes. Yep. Yeah. 
So, um, and a White Rabbit is definitely more of a cocktail focused yep. type place. And do you feel like that's where you learn? Mixology more than definitely, yeah, because you yeah. weren't really doing a whole lot of that at the other places. No, I could make a martini in a Manhattan, but I right. never even made fashion the basics, before right. I worked at White Rabbit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely learned it while I was there. Yeah, and so, uh, talk about that for a little bit. Do you did you find that, um, like I've, I've gone through a stage in my life where I found like making cocktails really exciting to just annoying after a while to like back to being like <laughs> cool with the f- being creative about stuff it's like I find yeah. like it's almost more about my stage as a human being than the actual art of making the cocktail but some people just once they start making cocktails that's what they realize they were born to do so right. how do you feel about that that was a weird question <laughs> um I don't, I, I really liked learning it. Like, I found when, when it first opened, um, and at Ethel's for years, I pretty much worked the bar most nights. So it was a change for me when Rabbit first opened, I was serving most of the time and yeah. not on bar. Um, and I had to, you know, work up to it again because I didn't know how to make all of those, class, even like a lot of the classic cocktails. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, it was probably a year or so in that I started making original cocktails or playing around with stuff. And a big part of it was because you were bored and you didn't want to do that anymore. You were tired <laughs> yeah. of having to make all the cocktails. Oh, yeah. We should, but I, I also was at White Rabbit. So uh, um, just for the Full history. Pleasure. Yeah, I did uh, open White Rabbit and uh, Jess was my first hire. Um yeah, so yeah, I that was the truth. I got tired of doing it all myself and then yeah, was looking for more you know, input. I, it was fun at the beginning, but I was also really bad at it. You know, because like some of the stuff I could come up with that was good was very basic in hindsight, which is not But that's like everything in life. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. That's not a fault. No. It just wasn't, you know, overly elaborate or overly creative because I didn't know the flavor profiles of spirits and I didn't know you know, even even little things about like how to order in produce and product that you could source in right. know, cool ways. It's kind of like let's just try to make what's right behind me work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got better at it, I got way more fun. And then say, like as you were saying, it kind of peaks for a bit. Just like does anybody else want to start give getting this over a it? Shot? Well, you, I, I feel like your creativity starts to run a little dry because it's not like it's kind of like the, a writer's block. Yes, and it's not like painting a painting where like you paint one and then you can take a fucking year off before you paint another one till the, <laughs> till things strike right. till the muse strikes you again, right? Like you're constantly under the gun to come up with something new, yeah. And you just kind of get burnt out a little bit about it, right? Yeah. Um, and also, it's like, yeah, I don't know the. The whole the trying to come up with something original and inventive at all times can sometimes be exhausting, and and it, it's also you you can also get to a point where you're trying to get too far out there. Yes. Did you find and that? That's something that drives me nuts when I go to different mm-hmm. bars as well. When it's just trying to be too too outside the box or too outside the box is like too gimmicky. Yes. You know like it, where it really is all smoke and mirrors at this point. I'm like. 
I remember being at a conference somewhere and someone, they're making a cocktail and saying, like, if your cocktail takes 10 minutes to make, it better be the best fucking cocktail I've ever had. Yes. And it never has been. Right. Well, it's the same with, like, flair bartending, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, if, if, if I'm going to watch you fucking flip bottles around like Tom Cruise for 10 minutes, yeah. it better be the best vodka soda I have ever had. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, there's a difference between it takes 10 minutes to get to your table because it's busy. Yeah. Or just, like, from start to finish, this is a 10-step process. Right. Like, First of all, how are you making any money? Like, wow. That person or the bar. And two, like, it's <laughs> That's just... That's a whole other story, It's not, yeah. not going to be that good, no. you know? I'm sure you could have done this more efficiently in less time. And I'm kind of glad you brought it this way, because I was... We were just talking about our own experience, but, like, in general, the industry has kind of gotten this way where everyone's just trying to outdo yeah. the last cocktail. And like you said, it, it gets more about the gimmick or the adding an extra ingredient when it was like, oh, I added um, the sprig of uh, whatever. Or like I, I had to climb to the top of an elf to get this flower. To get, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah totally. and, and then use the essence of it. When it's really like, you're not... But I also smashed in a bunch of lemon juice and simple syrup. And it's like... And it just exactly. tastes like the fucking lemon juice and simple syrup. Exactly. Right. You get charged for the flower that came right. on top of the elf. So we, like, and so I've kind of had, in my own career, like a little bit of a backlash against that now, where it's just like, let's just go back to simple ingredients, a few liquors, if you, like, get away from all the syrups, like, get away from all the gimmicks, and just do, like, an alcohol-forward menu with, you know, like, use a sense of creativity if you can, like, mm-hmm. you want to use egg whites, something like that, but, like, like not so much with the syrups and the, all the herbs and, like, smoking everything and, like, smoking. It can go on forever, right? Yeah. And, like, I think, I do think there's, like, a time and a place for it, for mm-hmm. sure. It's just where you have to edit yourself. Right. And I think if you don't, if you're not able to edit yourself or nobody's there to edit you, then it can get really carried away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it also at White Rabbit this is where you this would have been your first managing gig as well right? it was yes yeah and then you became... I was always bossy though <laughs> that's true I can attest to that <laughs> um, yeah and uh, and, I, and I'm, I'm happy to say that we were lucky to have you there like one of the all time great bar managers you're so very nice to you efficient organized I mean this is these are parts of your personality yeah. that just the management part brought forward. How did you find that job in general as it's when you first got it and then like say by the time that you were kind of done working there like was there a development in like in how you felt about the job or what did it teach you? What did you learn? What would you do differently? What would you not do again? Yeah, fair enough. I mean... Open-ended I, question. <laughs> <laughs> I probably learned more. I was there for four and a half years. I probably learned more working there than I have at any other single job. Um, I went from you know being a hire as a server to being the general manager by the time I left. So I definitely, just by virtue of working so many different positions, like I had to learn yeah. a ton. Um, it's also the time that I got really into wine and wine studies like I was like drinking wine but I actually got into studying it so mm-hmm. that's because of that job and because of having to learn uh, more about wine and more about beer and more about spirits just for ordering and inventory and things like that um, it 
kind of led to the career path I'm on now. Right. And we're going to get to that. Yeah. Um, what uh, What was your What would you say was your favorite part about being like a manager? Making my own schedule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was your least favorite? Making everyone else's. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. What did I tell you well, when I first you gave told you that? Me, like, you're, you're not going to make everybody happy. It's going to be the worst job because oh. someone's always going to be mad at you. Somebody was always mad at me. Yeah. Schedule like every single week you could give them exactly what they asked for and I would find out about how mad somebody was and you it's exactly what you told me <laughs> yeah it's, so. it, it's shit it's the first job I've ever delegated and every place that I open is like <laughs> how do I not do this <laughs> but yeah I mean if we'd had if we had like totally set shifts I don't know that it would have been quite as bad. It's just that it didn't work. It never worked that way, just because of the hours and again, well, people on vacation. Every right? space is different. Uh, it's funny we just had a meeting today here at, at Sugar Run where we're recording this. Sugar Run at Sugar Run Bar. Check okay. us out on Instagram. Um, the like we have very small, tight staff here. Yeah. So which is great. It's a, it, everybody knows what the fuck they're doing. Like we don't, have, and we don't have to worry about the spare personalities all the time. But it's very hard if somebody wants time off or wants or gets sick or whatever, yeah. right? Like it's just hard to navigate anything, that. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. So it's it's a very fine line, and someone's always pissed at you. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, what did you find with the difference in? Let's let's just talk about let's talk about uh, clientele for a little bit. Yeah. Like, uh, clientele at Ethel's more of a blue collar, would you say, crowd. Generally speaking. Yeah. And yeah. not in any despair. No. Like, I don't mean that in like a, um, a despair way, but just like that's just like more of a a working class crowd. Yeah, certainly relative to White Rabbit. Yes, yeah. and Janet Williams. Yes. Um. What, uh, so for a, a pet peeve for a customer at like an Ethel's Lounge, what would that be? Uh, the, the immediacy with which people needed things. Gotta have it this second. Just sat yeah. down, already need something. I mean, for sure, if you're standing around, like if I was standing around talking to you and someone's like, can I get a drink? Sure. <laughs> like, absolutely. But there were so many times where you'd just be running around like a crazy person and someone's doing the, the wave or the snap or... You know, like, oh, can I? And you're like, I, like, what is it that you think I'm doing right now? Like, I'm pouring sweat. I've got a tray, like, $100 worth of drinks on a tray, running around like a maniac. And, you, like, you think I'm ignoring you, like, on a personal level. Yeah. This literally happened to me on a Saturday night where I had a, I just bust a table here. And I, I like, literally a full tray of glasses that were overflowing. I needed both hands to bring the tray back. And I'm walking back and this chicken head stops me and it was like... Can you take a picture of us? And then <laughs> hands me her phone. I'm like, what? With my teeth? Like, I don't know how you want me to pull this off right now. Like, is it, yeah, the level of like self interest or, or uh, lack of self awareness. I yeah. think is a better way to put that. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, so like at a, at a more of a fine dining type uh, establishment, what would be the, the pet peeve that you had about a customer? Honestly, the thing that bothered me the most working there was how many people, how people that I knew in my life outside of there behaved there. Mm. How few people would recognize me because they didn't even look at the server. All right. And like, I can't tell you how many of like my my parents' friends stuff like that that I would serve, and I'd say hello, 
and it would take them a minute to register because they hadn't bothered to look up and make eye contact. Yeah. And it was, I just found it so... Demeaning? Yes, yeah. demeaning that I couldn't do it. Like, mm-hmm. that's why I didn't even last a year there, and I've lasted years at every other place. I think I'm just going to bring this new idea into this podcast where, because I have so many pet peeves. <laughs> <laughs> when, when, when our guest for the podcast brings up one that relates to me, I'll bring up one of mine. So in when you're talking about, like, not feeling like a human being anymore, yeah. one of my biggest pet peeves is when I walk up to the table and I'm like, How's everyone doing? And they're just like, I'll take a gin and tonic. Yeah. I'm like, that was not the question. It was not. <laughs> I was like, a human being over here talking yeah. to you. With manners. Yeah. I was being yeah. polite. How's it going? <laughs> How are you? <laughs> I hate that one. Uh, it happens all the time. It's the worst. It's okay. We're, we're all people too. You can just say, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> um, so you were mentioning that uh, when you were at Rabbit, that's when you started to get your love for wine. I, I, I do want to talk about this a lot because this is kind of how your career path is veered. Yes. Uh, very wine education heavy, right? Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is super cool. So you started, I think you did your first couple levels, well, the first level of WSA is not really a thing, but like, yeah. if you have basic wine knowledge, you already know it, so most people just skip to level, level two, two yeah. uh, which you did when you started working at Rabbit, right? Yeah. Um, and now On your you, recommendation. Well... Yeah, yeah, I had done it, but yeah, I knew you would love it because I love wine. Despite the fact that you're not allowed to drink any now. Jess is pregnant, everybody. Congratulations, Jess. Thanks. <laughs> um, that you, you're, I knew you would love it because, because you love wine. Um, and so talk to me about, um, you started doing what, level two? Did you do level two and three while you were at Rabbit? Yep. And, did, then, yeah. and where are you at now? I'm doing my diploma now, which okay. is level four. We're level four, right, yeah. So, um, for those who don't know, talk a little bit about what WSET is, what it teaches you. Sure. Uh, so, WSET or WSET is the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. Um, it's a wine education program that is very similar to the sommelier uh, tract. It's just that... Uh, as far as recognition goes, I find the psalm is much more known in North America, sure. uh, and the psalm is more trade focused. Uh, so, in that, like it's service oriented. The parts of the exam have a service component to it, whereas the WSET does not at all. It's entirely, uh, it's much more education and communication based. So, the idea behind it being, the end you go through, and you could you would be more inclined to teach or work as a rep or work at a winery or vineyard rather than be like a head song uh, okay um, right. so it's similar similar knowledge it's just that there's not the uh, service component with it uh, and what appealed to me about that so much was that because I'm not getting any younger I like the idea of going the direction of something that got me off the floor eventually one day rather than focusing on something even though it's more known around here because pretty much every time somebody finds that I'm studying wine, they're like, oh, are you trying to be a sommelier? I'm like, right. I am not. Um, but it, it's similar. You know, they, they do, they, they both have uh, graduated levels, and they both are comparable in many different ways. Um, yeah, and then so there's there's four levels with it, and the diploma, it goes from like a two, the level two is an eight-week course, level three is a 16-week course, and level four is a two-year program. So it's a huge jump in commitment at the end. And then after that, it's a teaching certificate, and then you've kind of maxed out that program. 
Right. Uh, yeah. So you. So yours is more based on education than the service level. Yeah. Uh, that's an interesting distinction. Um, and what do you? What is it that you love about wine so much that got you moving in this direction? I think I kind of realized uh, when I started taking it that, I mean, I am a huge nerd and I really like being in school. <laughs> I, I do. Like, I really, really, really like... Sure, the, you've done a lot of school paths since I've known you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I kept yeah. trying different things and it's yeah. not panning out. Um, and then with this, there's just this endless amount to learn. There's so much. Yeah, like, and, I, I'm never going to learn it all. And do you find that this is like you finally found the thing that you're most interested in learning about yeah yeah I feel like you have to yeah, yeah. I just I, I kind of can't get enough of it yeah that's cool yeah, yeah. and um, what is it about wine in general that you love so much Ooh. I don't know that's a good question yeah it's a really good question well that's what this podcast all about <laughs> <laughs> um oh no I, I think it I mean shit I don't know Sure. I mean, I love drinking it, for sure. And I love that there just seem to be, every time I get to, like, a new unit, there's more there's more types, there's more styles. Right. And how um, culturally specific they can yeah, be. And I find that really, really cool. It's like, yeah. I, I'm glad you said that, because I think that that's, like, thinking for my own. Like, I love wine, too. Like, I, I like, like, almost learning about a new... Um, varietal is almost like learning about an entirely new culture at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, which is kind of cool, right? I so mean, uh, last year, Tyler and I went to Portugal, and a lot of it was because I got really, really, really into port of Portuguese wine, and I don't know that it would have been, you know, the next place on our list of... Without know, that, yeah. Yeah, to travel. Right. Certainly would always want to go visit, but, like, it became, it bumped way, way up because of all this exposure I'd had and because I was getting really into studying it. Yeah. So, um, do you have, obviously this is something, this is the other thing that I think is cool about, like, um, if you're really into, say, jazz music, then your palate develops over time, like you start listening to, say, Louis Armstrong, you end up listening to Ornette Coleman type gotcha. idea, uh, I personally feel like wine is the same way, like, you start, you, you're, you're really into those big, bold, aggressive reds uh, or like a big oaky white mm -hmm. and then your your palate develops over time there's nothing wrong with any of those wines mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with Louis Armstrong either you know what I mean but right. I'm just saying like over time that's something I find cool about wine it's like music a little bit your taste just develops over time Definitely. softens almost I would say um, so that preamble in the books now uh, I would you what's the white that you're really into right now? Uh, well, like I'm not super super into anything right now. Being well, pregnant, okay, let's just say like, <laughs> the last time you no, were no, drinking. No, I, yeah, I yeah. Say. Um, I was getting really really into well sparkling for okay, sure. Yeah. Um, but that could be red or white. Um, and um, a lot of um, like Albarinos. Mm -hmm. I was getting into like anything that had like more um, minerality, like getting away from anything too floral. Right, and so can you explain to people what an Albarino is in general? Yeah, uh, it's a great, uh, typically you're going to find it in northern Spain, but you can get it in France and Portugal and other places as well. Um, grows in a colder, wetter climate, uh, and so it's not going to be super, it's not going to be like your big oaky California Chardonnays. It's a little like Riesling. 
in that it's got a lot of minerality and a lot of sweetness mm-hmm. at the same time. And I used to hate Riesling when mm-hmm. I first met you. So there you go, development of the palate, right? Yeah, so, that's yeah, true. Yeah. So, um, and then, like for a red, give me an idea of like what you were really getting into when you were still drinking. Um, Tanat. I really, oh. really, really love Tanat. Anything Damn, from that sort of Cahors region in uh, France. Uh, Malbec blends from that area I was getting really, really into. Can you explain the area real quick? Uh, yeah, so essentially, uh, if you're still looking at the Spain-France border, you're right along there, uh, but just not quite in, just north of Provence, essentially. Um, that's the Rosé district, and you're going just above that. And it's this area that's kind of overlooked, because um, a lot of the grapes that were from there have become popular in other parts of the world. Like, that's where Malbec's traditionally from, and we think of that with Argentina now. Right. Um, who, generally speaking, is making better Malbecs than France would be. But there's this really cool little pocket of wine that's coming out from there and it's a little harder to find in the LCBOs but you can find in a lot of restaurants you know they have a cool wine yeah they do have like yeah so you were um that must have been fun for you uh, at the end of your stint at Rabba's like actually crafting a wine list yeah I loved it yeah Yeah. it's fun I loved making the wine list Yeah. yeah would you say that was about your favorite thing by the time you left probably I mean I did I got I did get back into um liking making cocktails mm. again and one of the things I liked with the cocktails is that I would I know it's cheesy but I was like coming up with like the names and the themes and the yeah, yeah. exploring something different I'm fucking terrible at that I, I, <laughs> I, I can make a drink but I can't the names I'm just like, like I love the really cheesy, cheesy punny names and yeah, yeah. things and then, I'm just going to take a time yeah. out real quick Steven May I trouble you for another glass of wine? Sure. Just uh, you can open one of the other ones that's not open yet. Thanks. Uh, do you want another? And one for Dan as well, please. One for Dan as well, please. Help that hangover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have a pile of hot garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just garbage. Oh, it's no, getting hotter. It's heating up. Yeah, it's, hot it's, heating up. it's heating up. The garbage is getting hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, so. Um, <laughs> What, uh, when you're talking about, like, getting back into making cocktails, what, uh, what was, do you have a favorite cocktail that you invented? That I invented? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody always asks me your favorite cocktail to drink is, yeah. but that I invented. Um, well, we're going to get there, too, but. <laughs> I can't, I honestly am drawing a complete blank after I've made hundreds of cocktails. Right, I can't yeah. think of a single okay, one right now. Okay, that's fair. Um, and what about your favorite cocktail just to drink? Like, I, okay, so I, I ask everyone, it's a two-part question. There's like, and I always bring it up this way. My, my idea of what the perfect cocktail is is a black Manhattan. I think you know this mm-hmm. about me. Um, the, but my idea about like a cocktail that you can test a place on when you walk in, you see if the bartender knows what the fuck he's doing is... I always just say just like an actual straight Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Like if they make that properly, then I know that I can drink that. Then you can venture out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that, in that two-part question, what's your favorite cocktail and what's your test cocktail? My test cocktail is a martini. Yeah, just like, the, like, yeah. like a gin martini, yeah. a classic martini. Like a dirty gin martini. And then not, not anything like aggressively dirty, just like yeah, a just little... A little like, rind in there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if it's not ice cold, then... Yeah. Just little things like that. Like, yeah, you get yeah. lukewarm gin or vodka put on your table with vermouth in it. It's just disgusting. Right. But it happens a lot. 
Thanks, Steven. Say so hello. Steve. This is Steven. Steven's one of the bartenders here at Trigger Run. How's it going? Thank you very much. That's the Supremo Toscana. Ah, thank you very much. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> um, um, favorite cocktail to drink is the Sazerac. Ah, the Sazerac. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that one. No, I love it. Mm-hmm. Still love it. Yeah. And I'm really picky about it. Cause I, well, you've been to New Orleans a, a number of yeah, times. So it, 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 kind well, of figured out how to make it down there, and now I'm really picky about it. Because I actually I remember it's not made well up here. I don't know if it's the first time that you went to New Orleans when you were at Rabbitstow, but you came back with a different idea about how that cocktail should be made. Yeah. I remember that. Um, well, that was one of those things where like, I made it exactly how cocktail books that we had at the bar instructed you to make it. They're wrong. And it didn't taste the way like, I ordered one down there and it blew my mind so I was pestering bartenders all over the place down there about how to make it and then came back with a consistent recipe and what's it. your feeling about the cognac in the no cell? no right no that's this is classic and there's New Orleans New Orleans and have cognac right so I guess I technically like the New Orleans says, right? I, I think so too I, like I, I actually once I'm not gonna call this place out but I worked at a place once that clearly had just wikipedia the idea of a Sazerac and they put it on their cocktail menu and they made it with cognac and bourbon Ooh. like because instead of recognizing that they were two One different was a substitute yeah, yeah that they were it was like a, you know I was like Ooh. Yeah, it was not good. No, that wouldn't not, be. Nope, not good. Yes, not good. It's a lot of barrel. <laughs> it's a lot of barrel. And, uh, okay, so then from moving on, you started teaching at Conestoga College, correct? Yes. Yeah, I started in September. And you're teaching mixology and front of house service, so explain exactly what that means. Fair enough. Uh, so there's a restaurant at the college, and a couple nights a week, I work there and it's essentially like um, teaching you're playing the role of the bar manager or the restaurant manager in a teaching capacity so it's completely different than managing an actual restaurant in that these are all students and so far I've only taught like the culinary students so they have zero service experience at all but they have to do a mandatory term out front Um, and Whereas in a regular restaurant, you know, if, if things are going wrong, if things slow down, like the manager should ideally step in and help out in some way. If I do it for them, they don't learn anything. Ah. So, so a pretty easy gig. It is a pretty easy <laughs> gig. And, and it's a, I will say it's an incredibly stressful gig at yeah. certain points. But um, it's it's more about delegating. And, like, you always have to have eyes everywhere to make sure they're going to the right places because they don't always know what they're supposed to do. And if they didn't read what they were supposed to do that learn that week they definitely don't know where they're going or what they're doing but it's not it's it's not the same as say if you have a restaurant or a bar and you hire one new person and you train them you're training 17 people who've never worked in a bar uh, at the same time for a live service ah that's interesting so that must be pretty stressful to it, watch and I, and I know you're yeah. a, you're a very attention to detail type manager which is what you want in a manager right so that's like that must be pretty stressful for you like it was more so at the beginning and then when um one of my co-workers kind of explained like the more that you're trying to do for them the less that they're learning so mm. you just sort of have to like ride the wave of that service and you just gotta just sit and there and be stressed watching them fuck it, up. yeah pretty yeah. much and because then they you know they're not gonna learn anything but it's also it is a teaching facility it's it, that's why you're getting charged so much less 
for your food and your drinks and right. you know, like there's the expectation that it's not going to be perfect. yeah it's like it's kind of like going to one of those teaching hair salons like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. exactly like you're getting it at a discount for a reason right right um, and, and do you enjoy that I do yeah yeah I wasn't sure if I would or not because I hadn't really managed the restaurant thing in almost a year since I left Rabbit so it was a test the waters kind of situation mm-hmm. uh, but I did and I really I'd already done a semester of teaching mixology so I knew I liked the teaching aspect a lot and that's essentially just teaching a bartending course yeah let's talk about that for a little bit actually yeah. like if you're teaching mixology are you teaching like because you can't teach creativity obviously mm-hmm. so it's difficult to like when you talk when people think about mixology I think in general they think about like inventive cocktails mm-hmm. but what you're teaching is the basics of I'm just putting words in your mouth so you can correct me if I'm wrong yeah. but like you're teaching the basics of um, flavor profiling um, totally. pro- proper technique for mixing shaking yeah why you mix something why you shake something exactly right. yeah so it's um, it's a full semester program and it's interesting because I I didn't know this about the program before I started teaching it like they they don't just take the mixology aspect they have to do they're coming out flowing like cost management and um wine and spirits and beer and all this other stuff as well so it's kind of cool that I don't have to cover all of that either um but and there you know there's an outline of certain things like they have to be able to make a certain amount of drinks in a certain amount of time um it doesn't specify which so I kind of get to make the curriculum that way and start with like a bit of a history of a cocktail and I do my own spirits like the, the classic bar ale spirits unit because I want to make sure that they're on the same page as me right um and then yeah it gets into lots of technique and then i spend more of the second half of focusing on creating a bar menu and we go over a lot of the cocktail families in the first half and then going into like how to how to balance it and like let's say you were to leave here and somehow magically end up running a bar program you know you're going to be responsible for the menu so i can't necessarily train your palate completely in 13 weeks but I can teach you the families and what to how to keep it balanced and how to keep it varied and how to not just be catering to yourself because that's another thing that I that's find that's a super important thing yeah lots of uh, restaurants where if you only have one person making it there's no you're, you're building an echo chamber right so there's nobody to tell you like oh that's great but I like things that taste more like this can we uh, I'm glad you brought that up let's talk about that for a little bit if you don't mind um so that not only works for cocktails, but it's also the same in beer and wine. Yeah, and the food menu. Spirits, yeah. food, food as well. And like, this is something I struggle with in like my bar ownership, also with previous bar partners or whatever, where it's like you get focused on what you like yeah. and forget that. Now, I, as an aside, I do think it's important to, like from the ownership perspective, you're trying to put across what you like that's the whole point otherwise why do you open a bar right but and sometimes like bad is bad like you cannot like something and it doesn't mean that you've like hurt the artistic creativity of the bartender or something sometimes a drink just isn't good right that's why it doesn't make the cut but also sometimes it's good to recognize that something is good but it's just not your cup of tea right and that works for 
every day. Like, yeah. and I think that maybe customers need to get a little bit more on board with that as well, right? Sure. Where it's just like, oh, this is, this rig was fucking terrible. I'm like, well, no, it most definitely wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. It's just not to your taste, uh, yeah. you know. So, uh, so it's good. Uh, when you're like putting together, say, a wine list. And you can tell me, because I struggle with this all the time, I'm like, damn, I love this, let's put this on, and then find it hard to sell later or whatever, right? But, so, sometimes it's hard to go, when you when your pals move to a certain level of development, it's hard to go back and be like, okay, but there's lots of people who just want this, right? And I think the same thing can be true about a beer or a cocktail or whatever. Uh, do you, have you found that to be a struggle for you with putting together stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. I remember there was a menu um, maybe about a year before I left where the other... Left Rabbit? Yeah, um, where the other main bartender and I had looked at it and just been like, I don't want to keep anything on. Like, I'm just... Because I was so tired of making... Like, we both were just so tired of making the same drinks that were... You know, you keep a couple holdovers from other menus and we're just over it and we wanted to go... Yeah, like a general translation of a list is like, keep a couple that sell well... And just, and, we just want to yeah. blow the whole thing up and yeah. do something totally new. And I wouldn't say that it was badly received, but we still had people ordering all the other ones because they were popular for a reason. You and know? that's what you got to remember sometimes yeah. in your own. So get over your own fucking ego, your own development. And honestly, in this in this industry, I find it's hard to get over your own fucking ego all the time. Yeah. Like, it's just and like... I, like, honestly, I'll say from that one, it wasn't even about... Because it was more work for us have to come up with right. new stuff it really just was because of, yeah, I had to make that drink one more time I wanted to like blow my brains out <laughs> but I'll, I'll make this drink one more time but it'll be in the bathtub with a hairdryer yeah pretty much <laughs> like it just it was tedious but they were they were they, you know they were simple and they were good and they were really really popular and that's where I learned like you know it's not it's not just about your it's not it just ha- about you you. Yeah. you do have to keep some of the holdovers and you know look at your sales and figure out which ones but. yeah I find a, and you can t- t- tell me if you agree with this I, I find a struggle in, a, in the fine line of like education and trying to get some new interesting cool ideas across with also like catering to your customer base right mm-hmm. like and I, I'm not trying to say this in any sort of a degrading way it's just like we uh, people who work in this industry our palettes and everything develop so quickly because we're constantly creating new things constantly trying new things this is what we do for mm-hmm. a living and sometimes you, you've got to realize that the people who just want to come to your establishment aren't catching up to that as quickly and that's sure. and this I mean that's not a slag on them of course like why would they like you know like there's no reason that they would they haven't had like I don't think anyone would expect me to walk into a law office and the next day argue the OJ Simpson case you know what I mean like so it's like it's it's in a similar vein but sometimes we can forget that Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I think staff, I think service staff and bar staff forgets that all the time. Like, I find the easiest way to equate it is with beer. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with liking Coors Light. No, there is If you isn't. want a Coors Light, have a fucking Coors Light. Mm. And you don't have to walk into a bar and be shamed for liking it because there's all this cool craft stuff out there. And there is a lot of really cool craft stuff out there. And if you're into it, awesome. Yeah. That works for wine. If you, if you like your Pinot Grigios... Drink your Pinot Grigios. Is that was that just directed at me? No, I like. 
You have all the Riesling you want. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding because he used to get mad at me because I didn't really like Pinot Grigio. <laughs> no, no. But it, that, to me, that's like the Coors Light yeah. of wine. Okay, right? so let me ask you this now that we're on that topic, though. It's like now, because here's what I found. Um, as my palate has developed in wine and whiskey mm-hmm. and cocktails, I have found that it's worked in a reverse direction, and I just want to know if this is just me, or if it's someone like you who's kind of taking the same path as me. Um, my ability, my palate for beer has gone in reverse, where I don't even fucking want those hoppy IPAs right. or all the creative crash. You know what I want when I, if I choose to drink a beer, I want a fucking Heineken or something. Right. Like Whereas I, like there was a stretch where I wanted the cool crafty yeah. beer, but now that I've spent so much, like, it's, I, and I don't know if it's, like, I don't know why that's happened. I don't know if it's because of the development of a palate in other areas, or if it's just because I'm getting fucking old. But, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. know what the reason is, but have you found that as well with beer? Like, or is that just me? Uh, to a degree. Like, but I found that I was still, I still really liked sours. Oh, and I yeah. still really like to try different stuff with that, but I'm with you on the hoppy beer stuff. I just found it was um, everybody was just trying to make the next hoppiest thing, and for people that are into it, cool. I just it, I was kind of over it, and I mean now I'm a super connoisseur of uh, olive beer, which are all lagers. So <laughs> yeah. I'm really, really, really what's, into those. What's the best one? Actually, this is the exception of the rule. There's this new one called Partake, and they make they make. Um, Got it. Yeah, like IPAs and pails. And They're that, good. That is definitely the best one. They're really good. Yeah. yeah. Second would be Erdinger. They make like a wheat beer. A non-alcoholic wheat beer is awesome. Yeah, Erdinger makes it good. Yeah. yeah like, they're, they're alcoholic and non-alcoholic yeah. products. Yeah. It's really good. But why uh, just got to step it up. But, but oh, yeah. yeah, what is it? What's the one? What's their one called? It's Pro- Prohibition. Prohibition. Yeah. Clever. Um, <laughs> yeah. What is your favorite beer? Um, Kilkenny. Kilkenny or Smithix. No, I that really like Irish creamy, beers. Creamy, creamy yeah. Irish ale. Nice. Uh, what's your favorite beer, Dan? I crushed a lot of Kilkenny yesterday. Yeah? Uh, yeah, that might be part so, of the problem. <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry if I brought up bad memories. What are the odds? No, not at all. Uh, my favorite. We do like uh, like the European Kolsch style beers. So Those stuff good. like... Yeah. Uh, like uh, even like a two actually is one of my favorites. Yeah, I like those. Um, I'm really, I really like a Czech Pilsner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, yeah I love those. so easy to yeah. go down, and it's like, but it still has lots of flavor, but yeah. it's not like kicking your face in with flavor. Like I don't do yeah. that. If I want that, I'll drink scotch. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> you know fair I mean? enough. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been great, Jess. I really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Um, it's fun. It was very educational for our listeners, I believe. And You're welcome. <laughs> I love you. Likewise, great to see buddy. you. Thank you for having yeah. me. Okay. It's awesome. Thanks feel, again. Feel better, Dan. I will. I'll be sure. <laughs>